From deep in the heart of the swamp, this is Gator Tales, the official podcast of the Florida Gators. Gator Tales is brought to you by UF Health, the official healthcare provider of the Florida Gators. Welcome to Gator Tales. I'm your host, Adam Schick. For the first time since 2018, the Gators claimed the conference crown in baseball, setting off a raucous celebration that most notably included a dancing Kevin O'Sullivan. Now in Hoover, they're showing no signs of slowing down, with B.T. Ryapel launching a dramatic walk-off homer to open their run at the SEC tournament. On today's show, we'll welcome FloridaGators.com senior writers Scott Carter and Chris Harry and the voice of the Gators Sean Kelly for a roundtable discussing the regular season title coming back to Gainesville, a tough end for softball in Palo Alto, an incoming offensive lineman joining Billy Napier's squad from the portal, a remarkable recovery for men's golf in their quest for a national championship, and clutch athletes in the PAT. Then, Florida's new director of NIL strategy, Ben Chase, joins us to discuss the rapidly changing world of NIL and the role he's playing to ensure the Gators are at the forefront. But first, it's time for the Gator Roundtable, presented by Pet Paradise. Pet Paradise is your complete pet health care destination, with resort-style day camp, overnight boarding, professional grooming, and compassionate veterinary care from New Day, all located under one roof to serve pet fanatics like you. Book today at PetParadise.com, the official pet care provider of the Florida Gators. Our roundtable is off and running with FloridaGators.com senior writers Scott Carter and Chris Harry and the voice of the Gators, Sean Kelly. Uh, Still a number of things to get to. The season's starting to wind down, but do have a lot of topics to hit. So let's get right into it, starting with baseball. Uh, The dramatics of this past weekend, we talked about Florida's chance to win the SEC title. They needed a little bit of help and needed to take care of business. Both of those things happened. Uh, Talk about the Gators being SEC champions again and how it sets them up for for what's next. Well, uh, good morning from Hoover, where the uh, Gators are sitting and waiting until late afternoon on Wednesday because they've earned the number one seed in the SEC baseball tournament. It's a dramatic turnaround in a lot of ways for this team. I go back to the South Carolina weekend. Um, Brandon Neely was suspended for the majority of that series. They go to Columbia and get swept, and nothing looked good at that point. And certainly a credit to this team, the players and their coaches both, to basically check themselves and reset their season. And since they go 11-3, and um, and then even after the split of the first two games at Kentucky, to be resilient enough to win on Saturday and put themselves in a position to literally watch on an iPad the results of the Arkansas-Vanderbilt game underneath the overhang at Kroger Field after team showers and uh, cleanup for travel to win uh, a share of the SEC regular season championship. It's remarkable. This team is probably – it is the only one in the in the SEC that found themselves – clean with their weekend rotation throughout the regular season. Uh, And they overcame some injuries to positional players along the way. And sure enough, seven guys are all SEC in some form or fashion. And this team has positioned themselves not just for the number one seed in the SEC tournament, but probably no matter what happens here in Hoover this week, they will be one of the eight top national seeds for the NCAA tournament, meaning hosting a Condren family ballpark 
uh, for both the regional round and then hopefully a super regional weekend as well. Um, look, I, I'm, I'm still new to this game, and I'll, I'll lean on my colleagues here for perspective on this, but I would say that this is one of the most complete college baseball teams I've been around in my stunted career. And I would have to venture to say that um, even though there has been seven different college World Series teams at Florida, including the national champion in 2017, maybe none of them perhaps are as prepared as this one to make a postseason run. Yeah, you look back at Florida's history. I mean, this is a team that I think really from the first game, you knew a lot of the pieces were there, guys. But it just took a while for it to kind of gel. Like Sean pointed out, they're 11-3. and since that series in South Carolina, they're playing their best baseball. I think offensively, it certainly ranks, you know, in the top two or three teams in school history. Pitching-wise is where the question has been for me. But what I've seen lately is, first of all, let's just start with the Sunday starter, Jack Caglione. We always talk about what the guy does with the bat. But to me, what he's done the last two starts on the mound, I think I don't have the numbers in front of me, but I think I memorize them. 13 and two-thirds innings pitch, five hits, four walks, 17 strikeouts, and uh, two wins, uh, two big wins. And if they can get that production or consistency from him with the bullpen shaping up like it has over the last month, I mean, I, I think there's going to be a lot of people, regardless of what happens in Hoover, they're going to look at this Florida team as the team or one of the two or three teams to beat in the postseason. Uh, so that's where they are. I mean, it's a testament to just really hanging together and finally working some things out. And we've seen this under Sully before where, you know, midseason, you're like, okay, what's this team going to be? Is it going to kind of fulfill its potential? Uh, and and it and they have sometimes. And, uh, you know, I think this is that, that team. I just – I'm pretty high on this team right now, as you guys can tell. And, I mean – Anytime you got Sully dancing around after the announcement, I, you know that he's high on this team. <laughs> I, I got a kick out of that because, you know, Sully is a old-school baseball guy if there ever was one. And I could tell in that video even some of the players were like, whoa, what's going on here? Is that really Sully? So, I mean, he it was a big moment for him, big moment for the team because they really had to earn this after midseason. They weren't really in position to be talking about in the regular season SEC champion. And and here they are now going into Hoover. And you want to see them, you know, keep it bottled and see how far they can carry it. But I, I agree with Sean. I think regardless of what happens in Hoover, they're going to be a top eight national seed. If they can win uh, the regional and super regional, it will all be at home. So uh, we'll see what shakes. Uh, it's interesting, Scott, that you mentioned, you know, the, the Sully dancing part of this and all that. When we talk about championship teams that we've all covered, there are. This is the time of year where the intangibles, I think, almost mean more than numbers and production themselves. And being around this team now as much as I have this spring, they love playing for each other. And sometimes an interesting dynamic emerges where you have a team that has guys in that dugout or on the bench, whatever you want to qualify it as, that probably can start in a lot of different places. And there's competition for positional places. And sometimes that creates friction. And in this case, though, this creates a camaraderie that let's say Colby Holter doesn't get the start at third base on a given day. He's cheering as much for Dale Thomas or Derek Fabian as much as the other guy. And so, yes, they can all kind of step in for each other, but they've all learned to kind of 
check their ego at the door. And they also have great leadership with Rivera and Ryapel, and then these three freshmen that are everyday players now, basically, and Cade Curlin at second, Michael Robertson in center, Luke Hammonds emerged as kind of almost almost the everyday designated hitter, not to mention, you know, a quality catcher as well, that those ingredients start to, I think, carry a team through what we'll see now. They're going to play better competition, obviously. You know, one play can turn a, a weekend series or a regional or anything else like that. And so when I say that they're as equipped as, as any as I've been around, I think, I think I'm probably speaking to that just – just last night, a team dinner to kind of celebrate the regular season championship, set the week here at Hoover. Um, fun, yet businesslike, um, and everybody kind of pulling in the same direction. It's it's really kind of one of those ingredients that I think that sometimes can get overlooked a little bit. I mean, in the NBA, we can talk about the Miami Heat right now and kind of in a similar mindset or that intangible that's carried them Um all those things are fantastic. I think one last thing for me about the Hoover situation is this. I think if the Gators can get three games in here and and therefore just kind of run through their starters as they would on any other weekend, I think that they'll find that their trip here was worthwhile. And so get all three of those guys kind of their regular start before being home uh, next week and, and playing in a regional. I'm admittedly not a close follower of SEC baseball, but I was pretty surprised to see that Jack Caglione was not named SEC Player of the Year. Is this as controversial as it would seem to someone who mostly just follows the Gators side of it like I do? Well, if it wasn't for Dylan Cruz, maybe it would be more controversial, but Dylan Cruz is the resume that kind of quashes that, and you just kind of tip your cap. Paul Skeens is the pitcher of the year. No question about that either. Um, You know, the other thing about this team – uh, the skaters team, I think they're all happy and excited that a bunch of guys have been recognized, but I think their eyes are set on something a little different than player of the year, or pitcher of the year at this point. And Jack Caglione will be back for another year and will presumably be the uh, projected number one pick in the 24 draft. And, and it could put himself in a position to go ahead and win player of the year perhaps next year. But with the way that Dylan Cruz was for LSU, I don't find too many people arguing about it, just saying that Wow, what a what a great class to have to pick from, and, and this guy was just a little bit better. Speaking of SEC Player of the Year, that is what softball had in Skyler Wallace, but that was not enough to get them out of the Stanford Regional. Uh, and, and Chris, if we look at the way that this season ended for Florida out in Palo Alto, it's really the same stuff we've talked about all year. You know, At some point, I think you said that Tim Walton just sort of said, this is what we are, it is what it is. And that's the way the results played out in in Palo Alto, where they just did not have enough pitching to stay competitive with a Stanford team that has great pitching. And I wouldn't say it's a huge surprise, but obviously still disappointing that Florida will not be in the Super Regionals, which has only happened a handful of times in the last 15 years. Yeah, and again, we talked last week, it was the first time since 2004, they hadn't had a regional here at home. So you got to go out west and, you know, you face a, a team like Stanford, the number nine overall seed with, uh, I believe, the number one overall uh, ERA and pitching staff in the country. And, you know, and, and we've talked all year when we do talk about softball, we, we talked about pitching, but, you know, we, you still got to hit the ball at them. Um, and, you know, when you're facing great pitching, uh, you know, you better have decent pitching to counter that good pitch, but you, but you still have to hit the ball. And, um, you know, just crunching some numbers, I know that Florida was a top 10 overall offensive team nationally this year, batted 315 as a team. 
But that dipped to 279 in the SEC, which isn't that big of a surprise considering how many great teams there are in the Southeastern Conference. But now I'm looking at the at the teams that they played that are now still alive and playing in in super, in super regionals. Florida went three and eleven against those teams and batted a collective two thirty. And I'm not even counting. Um, they didn't play Alabama during the season. Alabama's in the super region. Remember, they got no hit by UCLA, which was stunned in their uh, in their regional out there. So um, uh, it was obviously pitching, but the, but certainly there certainly there was offense. You know, you look collectively at the pitching and ended up being a 3.69 ERA. They had 174 walks um, and only 219 strikeouts. I mean, it's it's it, you when you consider where a couple years ago, Adam, when you and I were out in OKC, and I'm I'm, I'm going big past Kelly Barnier. She was the last true ace here, and and and, and I give res- a lot of respect to Natalie Lugo the last couple of years. She she was pretty good on that team last year in the in the co- that went to the College World Series. But before Kelly Barnhill, man, the, the Florida Gators had everything. They had an across the board thing, and uh, you know they had the hitting, they had power hitting, they had speed, they had the pitching, they had you know they could go one, two, three, sometimes four pitchers deep with Alicia Casio and Delaney Gorley back then. But you know, I think a lot of Florida fans knew this may be kind of like the trend for this team this year. So going into the season, they say, okay, well we know what's coming next year, and now we can look ahead. Because the next time Florida softball team will line up, it'll have the three members, or actually six members of the number one recruiting class in the country. And I'll just remind a couple of people. Keegan Rothcock is the name. She's from Indianapolis. Okay. She's the national player of the year as a pitcher, the number one pitcher in the country. But she also hit 523 with 14 homers. All right. The number two pitcher in the country, Ava Brown from Texas. She's coming to Florida also. She went 36 and 0 this year. Okay. She had wow. 405 with 10 homers. That seems pretty good. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and and then and then finally of course the uh position the best position player in the class is Mia Williams, the daughter of Jason Williams. People from Florida may remember was pretty good point guard. She had 558, 8 homers, 27 RBIs, uh did not get thrown out uh in her 18 stolen base attempts. I don't know where she's going to play. I don't know if Rothcock or Brown are going to be uh, players at bat next year. Maybe, maybe they'll be able to, but uh, that's something for I'm sure Tim Walton and, and his staff uh, are, are looking forward to getting these, getting these young ladies on campus. And, you know, just, it's almost like a, a, a blow up almost mm-hmm. um, because a lot of the same people we've seen the last few years, you know, with Elizabeth Hightower for, she's been here five years. Uh, cause, she, Cause she had, these girls all had COVID years. Uh, Riley Trilicek, uh, uh, these girls have been here for a while, but this is going to be new blood, and maybe it's going to be something that 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 Florida is used to seeing in the circle when you have not one ace but two aces. And there's also the transfer portal. Let's uh, let's not forget about that. Yeah, no question. Uh, speaking about the transfer portal, let's get a quick note in here on football, and it looks like the Gators are getting some help on the offensive line, which we know is a, a real position of need. Uh, what do we know about the latest Gator to join Billy Napier's team? Yeah, Lindell Hudson, the uh, offensive lineman, played at Florida International, uh, was a you know a three-year starter down there, officially announced as the newest member of the team uh, on Monday. And, you know, Billy Napier had a speaking engagement Monday night here in Gainesville. And, uh, you know, he was asked about uh, Hudson. And, you know, what he really likes about him is his length. He, he instantly went to a 36-inch arms, 
and 87-inch vertical or a wingspan. So he was breaking it down in terms of length. We know that Billy likes his offensive lineman about 6'5 or taller and 315 pounds or so and taller. Well, this guy fits the bill. He's, he's 6'5, 318. And, uh, you know, again, we he's going to be instantly uh, uh, in the mix at one of the tackle spots. Uh, so uh, I think it's a position of need and, uh, you know, a veteran player. And if it's, you know, one thing we've learned about Billy Napier in his 18 months on the job, he's had a good eye for this veteran transfer talent, getting those guys who may have been under-recruited out of high school, developed elsewhere and brought them in here to Florida, you know, whether or not it's, you know, like we've talked about Osiris Torrance or Ricky Pearsall or Montreal Johnson Jr. So he's got that track record to lean on. And now we'll see if uh, Lindell Hudson Jr., uh, can uh, fit the bill. But, yeah, he's the newest guy. And Billy did say one other thing. You know, he was asked about the quarterback. Uh, still, his his words were absolutely yes uh, in terms of still adding the fourth quarterback over the summer. So they've got somebody there. He wasn't he wasn't showing his cards, uh, but, you know, they are going to add a quarterback, and he says it's in the works right now. So we'll see who that is soon. Let's turn our attention to golf, and uh, it's, it's it's a weird way their postseason works, and we've talked about it. Uh, their SEC championship win was uh, almost a month ago at this point, then a, a huge, huge time, a huge uh, layoff, and I guess you could argue that they kind of lost their mojo in that time and got off to a really slow start in the NCAA championships, and then they came roaring back, and the, the run continues uh, for JCD Deacon's team. So talk about the, the roller coaster ride that golf saw and uh, is now keeping it alive this season. Yeah, it was definitely a roller coaster ride, Adam. I mean, it, it, it was not a good start at all. I mean, ha- uh, through the front nine of the first round at the regionals up in Michigan, in Florida was in dead last place. They were behind uh, Purdue-Fort Wayne, if you can believe mm. that, um, at one point. And this is just coming off a. Of, you know, their first tournament, uh, like you said, right after winning their first SEC championship since 2011. Things weren't a whole lot better uh, second round. Um, they were, they, they, after, through two rounds, going in the final round, they were seven shots back of the top five cut line and really just came out of the box hard. Uh, and, and whereas Michigan State and Kansas State, who were in front of them, uh, didn't play very well early on. That kind of got Florida's mojo going. They caught up uh, pretty quickly. And on the back nine, I mean, the, ga- the da- Gators just caught fire. They were still off the, off the cut by a couple strokes, um, I think around number number 12. You know, if, when you play in a tournament like this, you need great showings from your best players. And Florida's best players, you know, you're talking about Ricky Castillo, you're talking about Fred Biondi, you're talking about Eugene Lynn, guys that are seniors at it that have been here a while and have been through some very uh, 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 tough postseasons, And they just, they just play their asses off uh, at that, that, that back nine. And not only got Florida above the cut line, but got them, got them to four. There really wasn't even a whole lot of drama over the last uh, three or four holes because they were playing so well at the time. Um, so Florida moves on to uh, at the NCAA nationals, which begin Friday at Greyhawk, which is in Scottsdale, Arizona. Uh, Todd Golden told me it's a beautiful course, by the way. I have not played uh, Greyhawk in Scottsdale. I have played True North and could not keep it uh, on the on the golf course out there, by the way. But Florida's best finish under J.C. Deacon is 10th. That was last season. 
Um, in 2009, the NSA went to a from a stroke play for the first three rounds to match play elimination um, in the quarterfinals, semifinals, and finals. Florida has never made it to the stroke play, or excuse me, to the match play uh, format um, since since that happened. So um, if they get that far, that'll be progress. But this is a team that has a lot of confidence. It's a veteran team. Uh, JC JC Deacon likes how they stare down when their backs are against the wall, kind of straighten up a little bit and uh, kind of take that as a challenge. And he certainly put a challenge to them last week. So again, Florida hasn't won a national championship in, in men's golf since 2001. This again, was first uh, SEC champion since 2011 and looking for that first, you know, elite eight, if you will get to that match play. And that, that'll be uh, showing some progress uh, for the, for this program, but obviously they're shooting, higher than that we're shooting for the whole thing let's hit the pat now and it's inspired by the performance of jimmy butler in the postseason who is developing quite a reputation as a uh, as a clutch player a guy who shows up when you need him to i would say it's pretty fair given the run that miami is on say the ultimate cinderella run if that's possible uh for a professional team but it got me thinking about really clutch players, maybe guys who aren't always at the top of your list for the best players, but when the moment arrives, they just always deliver. Uh, and specifically curious to know about the best clutch players you guys have ever covered over the courses over the course of your, your varied careers. Who who jumps to the top of your mind? Well, Adam, I had I have to like almost like parse this into two boxes in the sense that I've been very blessed in, in this century, if you will, to call a lot of games and a lot of sports and have called games featuring many of these players that will probably even be mentioned. But I wanted to qualify, I guess, in my situation, perhaps a player that, that's with a team that I'm associated with. So truly kind of covering an athlete on a day-to-day basis as opposed to just kind of parachuting in and getting a chance to, to call, you know, one of their games on the radio. And, and for me, that made it pretty easy to delineate that, Drew Brees is the most clutch player I've ever been around on a beat, if you will, that I've covered. 36 fourth-quarter comebacks, 53 game-winning drives, three in the postseason, including two in the championship run when he uh, took out uh, the Minnesota Vikings and Brett Favre and then uh, against Indianapolis, beating the Colts in the Super Bowl. So, I mean, I again, I've, I've been around a lot of them, including Jimmy Butler this year, but on teams that I've been associated with or affiliated with, I guess, it'd have to be Drew Brees because <laughs> that guy, and, and again, it's a, it's a combination too. It's, it's like coach and athlete in that Sean Payton's one of the best clutch coaches of all time in NFL history. And so those two working together, Payton and Brees, was something that I got to witness a lot. And you just kind of knew that if the game was reachable and Drew had a chance to get the ball in his hands, <laughs> it was a pretty good bet the Saints had a, had a real legit shot at, at winning a game. Over the course of covering NFL and 10 years of the, uh, 10 years in the 90s with Florida, and I used to think the best Gator uh, athlete uh, or best or, or clutchest Gator athlete, uh, sort of my first stint here, may have been Brad Wilkerson. He was a national player of the year, but I mean, anytime Florida – he would always bail Florida out, whether it was a home run or bringing him in from center field to pitch or something like that. But I tell you what, in my time since I've been back, I may have changed my mind. I think the most clutch athlete that I've seen at, during my Florida time is Bridget Sloan. And there's a probably a reason that Florida's three national championships were with Bridget Sloan um, 
doing every event. Uh, she was just incredible. Think about it. When she was 12 years old, she was on the USA Olympic team in Beijing. So wow. it's so rare to be on an Olympic team. Then all of a sudden you go to college and you're competing in, in you know, collegiately. And uh, I was I was at uh, two of her performances, obviously in the in, in the national championships. Scott was obviously Scott was at one. You're the one in California, Scott. Yes, the yeah. 2013. Yeah, and uh, and obviously that was a that was a loaded team with with Keitra Hunter and Alex McMurtry. Uh, but Bridget Sloan um, just always answered the moment. Always could sell. She was the way she sold her 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 dismounts and her landings were 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 unbelievable. And even on her last team, Jenny Rowland's first team here, they did not win the national championship, but she was the last to perform. Um, uh, it was they weren't going to win, but she got on the she got on the uh, uneven bars, and everyone in the gym. Uh, this is in Fort Worth, obviously, and everyone in the arena knew it was Bridget Sloan's last her last event. As a, as, a, as a collegiate performer with those three national championships behind her as a freshman, sophomore, and junior. And, of course, Bridget Sloan does a 10 on the uneven bars uh, for her walk-off, which made for a very easy uh, column for me, even though they didn't uh, win, win the cha- national championship time. But she was always fun, and I, I, I do uh, – I like to recall she was actually – did miss two bits. And uh, I remember being on, the, <laughs> being on the field before she did miss two bits – and Mary Howard, uh, my colleague up in the communications office, said she shows up in her Mr. Tubitz gear. And Mary goes, don't you want to wear a leotard under there? She goes, oh, you can't get a leotard here my size here in 10 minutes, Mary. Mary did. Bridget, <laughs> Bridget Sloan in 10 minutes had a leotard on. And damn if she didn't do an aerial after her uh, Mr. Tubitz routine, of course. And it was perfectly executed, I might add. Yeah, I mean, I'll start with the you know a Gator one, which he's he's the one and one A for me. And my time around here is Alex Fado. You know, the Gators would never have that uh, College World Series title if it wasn't for Alex back in 2017. Uh, College World Series most valuable player. I was looking up his stats here as we were talking in that two starts in that series, 22 strikeouts and 14 innings. He was just dominant out in Omaha. And, of course, uh, just capped a magical year off for Alex, really. Right after that, he's a first-round pick of the uh, Tigers. And, unfortunately, he's had some arm issues in the majors, but did, did make his season debut last week and had a decent outing. So I'm hoping that he can get things going on the big league level. Um, and then just in my previous career, uh, you know, when I was covering the Lightning, I mean, you got to go back to that Game 7 against uh, Calgary. Uh, Ruslan Fedotinko, both goals. Now, you, that's just a clutch moment. And see, to me, like when we talk about clutch performances, none of this matters to me if you don't win a championship. I don't care about Dan Marino and guys <laughs> like that. If you don't win the big one, man, it just doesn't matter to me. So, the you gotta, you gotta come through. That's what real clutch is. So, Jimmy Butler, as good as he is right now, if the Heat don't win the title, I won't even remember his name, fellas. So, that's just me. So, you know. <laughs> Uh, I'm a hardcore guy on these clutch performances because I I get so tired of hearing icons and clutch performers. All that stuff is so overblown in today's world. You know who's a clutch performer? David Eckstein, the former Gator. 2002 World Series and 2006 World Series. He won them both. He was MVP in 2006 on a team that had Albert Pauls. So, you know, that's the people you remember. That In the old days, they would get on the cover of Sports Illustrated. Nowadays, I guess they get on Instagram. <laughs> uh, anyway. 
That's my clutch performance. Isn't, a, isn't Jokic a pretty clutch player besides Jimmy he Butler? Is, but, you know, if they don't win the title, Chris, is, are you going to remember it? Yeah, but one of them's already in the finals, at least. The other one's not in the finals yet. Well, that's true. That's true. So it's going to be is, – is it Butler <laughs> and Jokic? Is that the matchup? Because I'm not following the NBA. Yes. Okay. That's the matchup. Yeah. But we're going to yes. remember one of these guys. We're going to remember uh, – Jamal, Jamal Murray looks pretty good, too, to me. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, no doubt. He he had thirty in the first half the other night when I was calling that game. And by the way, by the way, who put the Tabasco in Scott shorts this morning? I mean, I come on, it's coming I'm in hot. I'm I'm just getting. I'm seriously getting a little more edgy as I get older, Sean. I'm just all these icons, man. There's there's an icon on every team now. Like this, Kevin Durant, is he an icon to you guys? He's not an icon to me. <laughs> James Harden, is he an icon? He's not an icon to me. Magic Johnson, that's an icon. Michael Jordan, <laughs> LeBron James is an icon, even though he lost last night. The dudes, he, dudes win a lot of titles, right? <laughs> I, this this is the Scott Carter I'm here for. Yeah. <laughs> yes. This is Scott is Scott is telling everybody to get off his lawn. LeBron James, the other night, after game three, he had missed 19 straight three-pointers in the fourth quarter, dating back to game – in the playoffs, dating back to game two of the first round last year. The longest streak of any player in the last 25 postseasons. I just thought that was an astounding mm, statistic. Wow. He was awfully good uh, uh, in game four, but he wasn't very good in the fourth quarter, but he also looked exhausted to me. You know, what I'm grateful for is uh, how clutch the three of you are today coming through with some some great athletes that you've uh, you've followed throughout your time. So thank you for that. And thank you for continuing to provide great coverage of the Gators, which is going to continue this weekend with baseball and, of course, with golf. So check out FloridaGators.com. These guys will have all the content there to make sure you are up on what is happening in Gator Nation. Guys, thanks. Have a great rest of your week. All right, Adam. Thanks. Go Gators. Just a few years ago, NIL were simply three letters that didn't mean much put together. But today, they represent the here and now in the most urgent way possible, with schools all across the country scrambling to make sure they're in position to offer student-athletes opportunities to build their personal brand and reap the rewards. It's an incredibly tricky space that's evolving daily, so to better understand it, we connected with Ben Chase, Florida's new and first director of NIL strategy. I'm from Orlando, Florida, a son of a single mother who worked up to four jobs when I was a kid wow. to um, get me through education. Single mom, only child. Uh, my nickname is Ben Solo because I would just be all by myself all the time. But I made <laughs> friends in the neighborhood that were like my adopted family. I went to Boone High School where we have you know a, a nice little pipeline of, of uh, athletes that have come to play football here between the Townsends and now uh, Aiden's on campus, Mazel. Uh, and I actually didn't go to college. Till I was 21. So wow. I worked at Walt Disney World as a concierge and uh, at Splash and Thunder Mountain. And then I went to Valencia, did spring, summer, fall, spring. And I only applied to Florida uh, as a transfer. And I got in on the in, actually in front of Magic Kingdom, oh, wow. walking and letting people in. Like I let people in. I was walking actually to go to a doctor's office and I was, I like stopped right under the monorail and when I saw it and I, I got emotional and I had to go get a checkup. So it was a very memorable day to become a Gator. Did you take any pictures in front of Magic Kingdom to commemorate the occasion? Or yes, you had to um, run so you couldn't. Well, I was crying, so it, was, it wasn't that great. <laughs> 
Um, I think I went back that late, maybe the next day or something and did like a, I got into Florida kind of thing. Um, yeah. But uh, yeah, it, so it's kind of been my mom, dad, and uncle all worked at Walt Disney World at some point in my life. So I also, wow. so it's kind of just been ingrained in me. Um, so it, uh, it's kind of cool to, to have that part of my story. That is cool. So, okay. So I, and I saw that was part of your past and then you became a lawyer and then you were a lawyer. And then I was like, wait, he was a lawyer, but he also was a concierge at Disney. Like, you have a very unique path. I'm, I'm curious what sort of guided you along the way to, to not where you are now, because that's another story, but even before this. Yeah. So like I said, I didn't go to college till I was 21. And when I was in college at Valencia and then at UF, I knew I wanted to make an impact somehow. And I don't, what does that mean? Right. So when I was a senior in high school, I got in a car accident, um, the week of graduation and it was a hit and run mm. and we didn't get any money for the accident because like they just ran and like, we couldn't get like, and I, I felt like I, I wasn't you know made right. So when I went to college, I wanted to go to law school to be able to help make people right. Right. Mm. And then, I also got really involved and invested in education law. So I actually interned for the U.S. Department of Education, and uh, I was an education consultant for a law firm that had their own third-party consulting firm. So that was kind of where, you know, my admin, and I now am in administration. So, like, that kind of was, like, a great piece of this story. Um, so, yeah, I've done you – know, I worked at Splash Mountain, and I worked for the U.S. Department of Education. So I've been <laughs> – that's a pretty wide range. Uh, yeah. And then I went to law school. Like I said, I graduated – Came back to Orlando, uh, passed the bar in Orlando. I was an attorney. Yeah, and then I decided that was not what I wanted to do. I actually was invited. I interviewed for a position in L.A. to be kind of like the the chief operating officer for a really big YouTuber. Uh, I went to law school with his sister, and she kind of like said, hey, you should talk to my dad about this opportunity. And I did. And And I did it in the Gold's Gym parking lot in Orlando, Florida. And he said, you just described what we needed better than we could. And they wow. flew me out to LA in February, 2020. Um, and the plan was to start in August, 2020, but March, 2020 happened. Yeah. And uh, so since then I, I had this bug where, you know, I was already kind of checked out of being an attorney uh, long-term and then NIL happened and I kind of got into that role. Yeah. So how did you move into that? Cause did you have any background in athletics? I mean, did you, were you a volunteer in college? Were you just like a fan? You had no athletic experience, but if not, then why did NIL specifically speak to you? Yeah. So I didn't really, I, I tried to find opportunities in college and even law school to do things in athletics, but it's competitive. Right. And actually my third year in law school, I went to law school with someone who played in the NFL for nine years and I just became his friend. And our last semester in law school, he goes, we're just at his house watching boxing, I think. And he, we we're just talking about you know contracts and different things. And he said, Ben, why didn't you ever ask me to be an agent? Or like, I could meet, introduce my agent. I said, I just wanted to be your friend. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like everyone else <laughs> asked you to be like, every time I'm with you, someone's asking me, he's like, that's the whole point. Like you would be a great agent because you don't care about, it. you just care about being around people. Right. Um, so he had, I actually interviewed with his, his agent and his agent goes, why didn't you leverage this friendship a year ago? And I was like, well, I'm in front of you now because obviously something, but it didn't matter. So that was like the only like taste of it I got. Uh, but I actually got my first job in NIL from a cold DM on Twitter when this uh, third party collective company 
um, launched and I just sent them an email. I, I sent an email and a cold DM, but the email didn't work. The cold DM did. Hmm. Uh, and I sent, I just added so much value for free, like my thoughts on NIL uh, that they hired me as a consultant. And I did that. And I, I, um, I helped pivot the company from being, they wanted to be a marketplace app, kind of like a mar- uh, influencer. I don't know how familiar you are with NIL marketplaces, but we have influencer local exchange here. And then there's market price, match point, open doors, uh, but they didn't really have a tech, the tech. So we kind of pivoted into one of the first and only now um, NIL collective launch and management companies in the country. And uh, I helped with you know Gonzaga basketball, Arizona mm-hmm. football. Uh, and uh, I actually became really good friends with, um, the head football coach of Arizona, Jed Fish, who's a Gator. And uh, so that was a really cool opportunity. And then, so I kind of, it w- went from zero to a hundred really quick. I went to NACTO, which is like a AD conference and I didn't even know what it stood for. And <laughs> now I'm going this year here as well. Wow. Okay. So you said a lot of words there that I've never heard before. I've heard the words, just not in that order and not on this topic. And I think most people unless my level of self-awareness has just dropped significantly, most people listening to this are also not going to know this because all this stuff is so new. So where did this stuff come from? I'm just like trying to wrap my head around it because it's just, it's, there's so much and it's so new, but yet you seem so steeped in it. How, like, there's no book on this, right? How do you get to the level of depth in this that you are? Well, if you read the comments on YouTube, I'm just a road trip guy, right? So, like, <laughs> I was going to ask you about the road trip. I was going to ask uh, you about no, that. But no, I mean, this is what I've been, like, I've been doing this since almost the start of NIL. Like, I got my first job, uh, like, November 5th, 2021, but I was ingrained and tapped into it since the start. Where was the infrastructure to learn all of this stuff, right? There weren't books on NIL is just a thing that happened and has kind of exploded outward yeah. and in every different direction where I feel like most of us are still trying to get at the very root of what it's supposed to be, but you're already playing like 4D chess with it. And my question is how? I believe that when you care about something, you go all in. And this is something like being an attorney and, and other things like I uh, I wasn't really all in on and this Mm -hmm. like when it when it you know was opened up and the opportunity i i dove in i you know i read everything i could i i networked with you know i i know most of the the industry leaders across the country when it comes to either attorneys writers Mm -hmm. uh you know i i can text most of the people that everyone quotes articles and like just say hey like what is the like you know for example today uh there was an article about a certain university and uh and i didn't really like the narrative and i just shot a text like what do you think of this to someone and they're like yeah but that's not me like trying to control the narrative it's just like i just love this new era and you know a lot of people believe that nil are scarlet letters right they Mm -hmm. they don't like the, the the connotation they don't like what what is involved in it but I, I think it's an exciting opportunity for our athletes here at Florida and across the country. And, and that's why I, I, I don't know everything, but I'm a, I'm a lifelong learner and I will continue to learn every day. Hmm. Yeah, so, and that's, a, I wanted to ask you that too, in, in terms of NIL and the perception of it, what do you think the biggest misconception is about NIL and the way, A, the way that it's working now and B, the way it is intended to work? 
The biggest misconception about NIL, I would say, is that it's going to ruin college sports. <laughs> like mm-hmm. that is a narrative. Um, you know, just like like any kind of news, the negative headlines are going to draw the most attention. Mm-hmm. But if you look at NIL right now and, and, and the opportunities that our athletes are, are investing in the community, amplifying local charities, giving back and, and to, you know, everyone in the community, as well as building their own businesses. I mean, Leah Clapper just launched this week her own NIL company that she wow. was building while she was on campus. Like, and she partnered with Christy Dosh, who is a professor, a law professor, an NIL expert, um, if you will. Like, I always say this. So NIL, the original intent of NIL was if you and I, you were you know, a content creator, right? You're, you, this is what you do. If we were roommates in college and you were a YouTuber that was making YouTube videos about baking cookies and I was a YouTuber, but I they did the same exact thing, but I was a football player, you could make money and I couldn't. Right. How is that fair, right? So like unlocking the ability for our athletes to not only make money off their image, but start businesses, you know, give back to the community and amplify, you know, different charities. Like that's what it's all about. And, you know, I don't know if you've seen, but if you go to any of the senior days in the spring, we see a lot of, you know, fans and and alumni and and in the stands wearing gear that has their favorite player's name on it, their favorite, Mm -hmm. their, their son, their daughter, their, their brother's name on it. And like that, you could do it and it was bootleg before, but now those athletes get to make money off of that. So that that's what it's all about. And that's that's the most important thing. In terms of where it is now relative to where you see it going, where you think it should be going, what does that look like? Like, how do we go from today where, as you noted, a lot of people say this is, you know, the death of college sports. How do we get from that frame of mind to where it's seen as a positive force and accept it as something that is normal within college sports, not this this uh, like death star that so many people view it as right now. Yeah, I mean, it's one of those things where um, if if more people highlight the good that's happening in the country, like and more the, the opportunities that all our athletes are getting, um, I think more people will will open their doors and see that it's it is it's impactful. And I mean our stadium here, 92 strong, like people are showing up. That's the swamp. People are showing up to see our athletes play. Mm-hmm. Right. So, and, 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 you know, if it's the Diz or, or Conjuring field or, or Presley stadium, like people are showing up to see that our athletes and they're the ones that are putting the butts in the seats. And now it's time for them to be able to profit off of that. Mm. Right. Like and and going forward, it seems like there's going to be opportunities to do different things. I don't I can't speak the future, but there's a lot of different regulations and and, and bills across the country for different opportunities um, for this to be expanded. Right. I don't know what the perfect NIL world looks like, mm-hmm. but I know that I will be an advocate for our athletes every day in terms of. The way that these the the partnerships work with the third party entities, I think that's probably the most confusing part of this for so many. And obviously, it was kind of laid to bear back in January with the football situation. So I know there's a new partner now that we we talked about it a few weeks ago. But can you just sort of explain the role of the of the third party, how it ties to the university athletic association? Like, how is that? How does that all work? Because I know that's a big source of confusion for fans. 
Yeah, so that's a good question. Florida Victorious is a new NIL entity um, with leaders that have been in the space since, you know, late last year, you know, helping our athletes. Uh, and, uh, you know, what they're doing is they're creating opportunities for our athletes to maximize their NIL, name and image likeness in the community here in Gainesville and also in the future in their home community. They have different kinds of ways to raise money. Uh, you know, they have the subscription method and they have, you know, people that care about our program that give directly to Florida Victorious. You know, they're a nonprofit opportunity as well. Um, and their team, when you asked about like how it works is, you know, they're very, they're very transparent with us about what they're doing. So um, it's something where, you know, if, if you saw at launch, Scott Strickland's on the video, mm-hmm. <laughs> head ball coach is on the video. Right. So, um, but that's not because, we wouldn't be on the video. We wouldn't attach ourselves um, to something we didn't trust, you know, or a championship organization with integrity, right? That's the, the key and part of what we're doing here as Gators. And, um, you know, I believe that they're, they're doing it the right way and, and they're building something special here. And hopefully uh, all of our fans that are on the fence or, or the ones behind the fence can see that. And, and if they have issues and questions, like I'm all, you can, please, I get phone calls every day from people that, want to hear more about NIL and, 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 and not be swayed. It's not like I'm out here being like a evangelical NIL person, but, uh, <laughs> are, you, are you, are you in Turlington handing out pamphlets about NIL? Yeah. Have you heard the good news, right? Like, um, but no, it's, it's, it's exciting. And, uh, you know what they're doing and, and you know, there's other, uh, you know, the best part is there's a lot of local companies that are really diving into NIL here. You know, there's a local, a store that has our license that in the last two months has uh, their online sales have gone up 2000% because wow. of hmm. think about that 2000% in two months. Yeah. So, and it, you know, and then you have uh, other local companies that are, you know, using our athletes in, you know, Instagram real commercials, you know, and then, and, and they're generating sales from that. It's, you know, there's no more impactful, you know, spokesperson in Gainesville for your local business, for your local charity, than a star athlete or an athlete that can create content, right? Mm-hmm. Like, um, so it's not just Florida Victorious. There are a lot of different avenues you can take to, you know, invest marketing dollars or, or, or just align yourselves with the, the the energy, the heartbeat of Gainesville, which is student athletes in the University of Florida. Hmm. You talked about uh, the calls that you get from people all the time. And, and I was curious w- with a new role like this, where there's not really a, a playbook for the space or even the, the specific job that you're doing. What is a, a day in the life like for you? What do you, I mean, is it still like, is it still getting built actively trying to kind of change what you do day to day to, to navigate this space as best as you can? Yeah. So, I mean, I've been here since my first day was January 23rd. And I would say that, you know, the first month or so was me getting to know our staff, our coaches, our, our, our athletes and, and and kind of figure out the needs and where I can add value. And every day, if you ask me what my day to day is, it's I wake up and I work until I almost fall asleep. My roommate is actually someone else in athletics and we both fall asleep on the couch like working. You know, it's because I care and I'm, I'm actually probably one of only three or four people in the country in this position that is from the school they're working for, like That's actually went to yeah. their university 
And I, I'm very, very hard on myself, but I also act, block out the noise of other universities. I get a lot of texts and push notifications about things different universities are doing. And I'll sometimes it's not like a FOMO thing, but it's like, okay, that's cool. But how can we do it here in Gainesville? Um, from like consistency and, and building out strategy and programming, you know, and, and now that I've been here and the semester is over, uh, you know, now I can kind of look at what our 2023, 2024 plan is. Um, but yeah, it's it's been it's been exciting. I mean, right now it's five thirty, and I don't plan to leave the office until like eight or nine. Mm. That's pretty. I mean, uh, I actually I'm really good friends with our custodial team. <laughs> like, uh, hey Ben, why are you still here? Yeah, no, I mean they're just like uh, they'll see me like get up and like you're leaving early. I'm like, yeah, it's only seven. But like, no, mm. I, I that's not me. Like, I it's because I care, and it's because there's a lot of work to be done. It's just I'm a one man show right now, and I'm mm-hmm. you know, I also am building out potentially a volunteer internship program and stuff like that too, um, to make this scalable and 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 make sure I'm maximizing every tool I can here. What is the bulk of of what you do? Is it is it making phone calls? Is it what you're talking about? I mean, it's just downloading information and absorbing as much as you can about this rapidly changing space. Like what what's happening? So I'll give a little a little more context on what I did in my old job too. Okay. So like try to get an understanding of this. Yeah. Right? So in my old job, I was the gatekeeper to our CEO. And what that means is any third party NIL company in the country that wanted to work with us. And there was a lot, I mean, we had, we, at the time we had seven collectives. So you know, that's a hot market, right? So mm-hmm. I'd be the one that the company would pitch to, and then I'd make the final decision if it even got to our CEO. Okay. And now when, I, when my first three weeks here, I was averaging 27 meetings a week internally and externally. So like, how do I get my work done? It's because I'd have to stay late. <laughs> you know? right, right, but right. so, um, you know, my days right now, I, you know, I work, I wear a lot of hats. I, I'm teaming up with our compliance team to make sure stuff's good from compliance, you know, licensing. If we have a, a, a vendor that has our license, are they interested in NIL stuff? Because then it's a co-branding opportunity. You know, I have uh, local companies that'll call me and say, Hey, what is NIL? Am I able to do it? How do I do it? You know, and and, and I, you know, I, I do one-on-ones with our athletes, you know, my first semester here, I had six hours a week, just in the Hebner building, like come hang out and meet me. Right. And talk to me. And, and, and if they, I could, you know, let's look at your social, let's see, you know, I help, you know, if they want to uh, uh, have like a draft letter or something, I can say, Hey, like, this is what I think you should do this and this. And like, um, but yeah, it's, it's a lot. I mean, alumni, I've, I've gone to two of the coach Napier speaking tours and just like, I have a lot of touch points, uh, you know, with the coaches and their staff. And um, I would say no, no days the same, but that's good. I enjoy being busy and, and there's nothing more, you know, I care about Florida athletics. Uh, if I'm when I'm not like and it's funny because uh, before this semester, I well, when I was an undergrad here, I didn't go to a lot of uh, I didn't never went to gymnastics before. And I've done mm. that. Like so like when I'm not working, I actually try to go and invest and be a fan. Uh, yeah. And, and it's one of those things where, uh, it's, it gives me an idea and, and the opportunity to learn you know, what our athletes are good at, you know, and, and who are, who our athletes are that may not be getting the, the, the press and media that they should be locally and nationally. And then mm-hmm. kind of, you know, speaking to that and seeing we can um, add value there as well. I can't let you go without asking you about the, uh, the record breaking road trip that you mentioned. I guess for those that don't know that haven't seen stories about this, can you, can you tell us about this road trip and what motivated you to do it? 
Sure. So in the fall, I went to 77 college football games all wow. on the road. I drove to every game. So 77 college football games in 135 days. I drove over 60,000 miles. I also ended up going to all 48 state continental states. Uh, and it wasn't like I went to games in every one. It's just I had a, six days left, and then there was seven states that I hadn't been to. So I said, why not knock them all off? But yeah, my motivation was, you know, everyone says, oh, this is my dream, yada, yada, yada. Like, I'm going to wait, wait and, and stuff like that. And, I, you know, I left my last company, and I said, I'm just going to go for it. And I put a video on the internet saying I was going to go try to go to 60 games and <laughs> ended up being 77. And I left some game, I left a game or two on the table. Uh, but the story, you know, my thesis was nothing brings people together more than college sports, and specifically college football. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I went to you know, big games, little games, D1, D2, uh, you know, all over the country. And I was able to meet people and tell stories. And uh, I've logged like the first six or seven games. Actually, there's a, a Florida Gators log. Uh, from the Utah game. Uh, yeah, but it was just a time to, to go for it. And, and, the, and one of the benefits of that trip uh, was now I can go to an athlete and say, I had an NIL deal. I did this, you know, I, I had multiple deals with companies on my road trip and I can show you how and why and, and how to tell a good story and create a brand. Um, so that's a, a, a benefit that, uh, you know, when I walk into a room and say I was on the two yard line with Applebee's, I almost had to deal with a national chain Applebee's. But the only reason it didn't happen is because Christmas came and the season was over. Right. Our students will they jump up and they're like, wait, what? Like and then I can kind of tell them uh, about that kind of thing, too. I'm trying to think of the, the math here and the way a calendar works. So college football is generally played on Saturday. How did you manage to go to 77 games in one season, which has only 14 to 15 Saturdays during the regular season starting in October there's a action on Tuesdays and Wednesdays I was just going to say there's got to be some action involved in this and then I mean every week there's a Thursday night game and a Friday night game as well right so Correct, yes. really the beginning of the season so week 0 I went to I started in Tucson week 0 is in New Mexico and then uh and then Labor Day weekend I did a Thursday Friday Saturday so Sunday, Monday, so Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, five games in five days in five different cities. Mm. And then it was kind of just like that. It was it was Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and so, and I would double. I did seven double Saturdays. And then during bowl season, I went to 14 games in 16 days. Wow. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, they, it adds up. And oh, if someone want, wanted to go for the record now, like, uh, I think – the, the Sun Belt, the Fun Belt is also going to start doing Tuesday, Wednesday games. So there'll be a lot more to do. Um, you know, and I did say earlier, I left a game on the table because at one point I took 70 kids to a game with me as well at UC- wow. USF. Uh, and we gave them tickets and we got a tailgate, like got them all shirts, got a, a bus to like pick them up and take them to the game. So, uh, so yeah, it was, it was just a once in a lifetime. I don't think I could ever do it again. I mean, I could probably, but it's a lot. I mean, driving from Orlando to San Jose in 42 hours and 41 minutes, like that's, and it was all in Betty White, my 2017 Dodge Grand Caravan that blew a transmission and I had to buy a brand new transmission Mm. on the road. How did, uh, how did it get the name Betty White? She's, she's a white van. And, you know, I, it was, I got her in April of 2001. Two and Betty White passed away in January, so it was kind of like a tribute to her. Um, I also knew that I'd be driving her for a very long time, and Betty Light, 
Betty White lived a, a great long life. So uh, I didn't think she'd be, obviously she's a star. Betty White was the star of the trip, not me. So mm-hmm. it kind of made sense. <laughs> uh, last thing for you, I want to play off that. What was, I don't want to say the best game you went to, because I'm not really interested in that. I'd be more curious what the most interesting game you went to was or a place, a yeah. whether a campus, a locale that uh, that sticks out the most in your mind. Like a lot of people ask like the best atmosphere. And I would say there's a few, I mean, the Penn State whiteouts up there. I'd say that I was really, really surprised with Baylor. Hmm. Um, Baylor's on weight where around the stadium is not great, but when you get inside the culture, it's a Texas school with traditions um, such as they have this thing called the Baylor line, which is all the freshmen, uh, get to run across the field before the stadium, before the game, and they surround the tunnel where the players come out, and they all wear these gold uh, jerseys with the year they graduate, and they all have cool nicknames on it. And it's been a tradition since 1971. But they didn't even they didn't allow women until 1994. Wow. Um, so, but what they did was when that happened, they allowed women from all from you know previous generations to come, and they thought only a few hundred would sign up. They had like thousands sign up to to be a part of it, so that was really cool. Mm-hmm. And then. They are the only school that uh, when Baylor's on defense, they have a, a chant every time the ball snaps. So every they, so you know how you're always loud. Oh, yeah. Every time the ball, and they have so they have their the bear claw up, and they're like oh. And when the ball snapped, they all go sick them bears, and it's just really cool. And imagine like in the swamp, if we had ninety two thousand you know going oh, and right when the ball snapped, everyone chomped. Like I don't know if you've been to a gymnastics game. Or gymnastics match meet is a or nine thousand chomp at the same time. That sound. Imagine ten x that. Uh, every play. That, I think that would be cool. I'm not saying we should do it, but I'm saying we should consider it. But um, I would say that's that's definitely one. Um, and then honestly, I would say BYU because they don't serve alcohol. Uh, but they have these maple cougar tail donuts and. You get you get a thing of chocolate milk and it's it's pretty nice. It's pretty nice. <laughs> Everybody's uh is giddy off sugar at that one. Yes, it's a substitute substitute sauce, right? <laughs> yeah. And then there's there's places like I mean I I would Auburn night games are one of the most underrated places in the country and uh, I had a really good time at App State. Well, I know you have a, a lot of stories to tell. Um, but as you noted, you have a lot of work to do, so we'll let you get back to it. But thank you for for taking us through your journey, helping us better understand this NIL space and inspiring future road trippers to live their dreams in the biggest way possible. No, I thank you for having me on. It's, I'm, uh, it's very honored. I listen, you know, not to every episode, but uh, as many as I can. Uh, and uh, it, it's kind of surreal to be a part of it now. And that's going to do it for this week's show. If you haven't already done so, please subscribe to Gator Tales wherever you get your podcasts and leave us a review to help us continue to grow. Be sure to keep track of all of the orange and blue action by visiting FloridaGators.com, then come back here every Thursday during the athletic season for an all-new episode. Until then, I'm Adam Schick. Thank you so much for tuning in to Gator Tales. Gator Tales.